Well, welcome to the Empowered to Connect podcast, where we come together to discuss a healing-centered approach to engagement and well-being for ourselves, our families, and our communities. I'm J.D. Wilson, and I'm your host. And today on the show, we continue season two with Dr. Nicole West. Uh, Dr. West is a therapist at uh, the Memphis Family Connection Center in Memphis, Tennessee, and she uh, does a variety of things there, um, including but not limited to um, play therapy and um, pretty extensive research. And um, one of the things that we have had her talk with us today about, um, among a, a few other things, was just the importance of play and the idea of, um, of uh, a lot of times parents don't understand um, the importance of or the necessity of or, or what's actually happening in the brain of a child when we are, are playing uh, with them. And so uh, she talks about how to engage your kids in play, um, different uh, things to be watching out for, different tips and, and practices um, to incorporate within your own child. So it's a fascinating episode uh, to learn learn more of kind of the brain science and what's happening behind the scenes with our kids when we play with them. But um, a very important episode for all of us, especially as we are, again, kind of in this beginning school season and looking for ways to connect with our kids to maintain that uh, relationship. Uh, This is a great, great episode to check out. So uh, please enjoy with us now, Dr. Nicole West. All right. Well, as we mentioned uh, earlier today, we are here today with Dr. Nicole West. And um, Dr. West does uh, a bunch of things here for the Memphis Family Connection Center. And we're going to talk to her today a little about uh, all of those things. And so, um, Nicole, thank you for being here. And thanks for uh, agreeing to jump in with us. Um, why, why don't we kind of start off with just you sharing your background and how, uh, how you got into the work that you're in now? Sure. So I actually... Um majored in psychology in um, undergrad and got really interested in just how the brain works and what makes people tick. And um, so I decided to go to grad school and get my master's in um, clinical counseling psychology because I wanted to work really closely with families um, and at the time more specifically with kids. Um, So I think, let's see, in grad school, I did an um, internship at a juvenile justice center where I got to um, meet with families and work with kiddos, just teaching them some like coping skills and strategies um, just to use in everyday life. And let's see, after that, I've done everything from from residential um, counseling to working in schools to working um, with families in their home. Um, and then we moved to Memphis and I started my PhD program in counseling and kind of decided that I wanted to still work with kids, but also wanted to work with adults. So I have a really great, um, clientele base, um, that spans from like four years old all the way to, I don't know, you know, adults, um, which is really nice because it does give me that break in, you know, adults have really heavy stuff most of the time. And so it's nice to have some kids mixed in there that I get to play with and just have fun. And, um, so that's how I ended up here, um, doing play therapy. So awesome. Okay. So I'm I'm interested to like go back a little bit in the story. You talked about working in juvenile justice Mm -hmm. center. So during your time there, were you know, are there, and this might have to end up being like a whole separate series of <laughs> podcasts probably, but like, were there a few takeaways from your time there of, uh, and I really uh, enjoyed seeing this and think in the future, if we could integrate these types of things into juvenile justice, that this might be 
you know, a game changer. For yeah. Them. Yeah. I think one of the really big things that's missing in the juvenile justice system and even the, you know, adult prison system is one, the asking that question of what happened to people to bring them there mm. and then kind of addressing that because it's all trauma right. stuff. Um, and we kind of skip over that um, and just kind of, you know, for lack of a better phrase, we just lock people up and expect them to be better when they get out. Right. Typically people go, you know, the recidivism rate is high because we're not addressing whatever the issue was that initially brought them there. Yeah. So that was one of my takeaways um, just in terms of, of providing people with like a mental health outlet, like someone to talk to, someone to, you know, verbally express all of their emotions. Um so missing the whole mental health piece, I think, in the juvenile justice world and missing the trauma piece, just helping people yeah. address the scary things that have happened in their life that led to whatever behaviors that, you know, put them into the, the juvenile justice or the adult prison system. Um, so if we could incorporate more of that, I think we would actually do much better at rehabilitating people, which is supposed to be the goal. Right. Um, but if we're missing those really key pieces, then, you know, we're not really doing people justice yeah. by giving them that yeah. that piece. So no, That's good. Yeah, I think we will have to have a, a whole separate episode to talk about yeah. that. I have so many questions. Um, so we'll stay more on track uh, here today. So one of the things that... Um, I was interested in that we were interested in, in talking to you about was play therapy because, uh, and I told you this before we recorded, I, I think the, the, um, you know, more cynical side of me years ago when I heard about play therapy for the first time, I kind of rolled my eyes and I was like, <laughs> Oh, come on. Like, this is like a money-making scheme from counselors, like right. <laughs> play therapy. Like I play with my kids that's their mm -hmm. therapy, you know? So it, I, I, just for clarity, I have changed my tune on that. I understand it now, you know? Yeah. So, um, why don't, why don't we kind of walk through that, like the, the foundation of what play therapy is and, and why it's important? So you are really not, a, not very different from most parents <laughs> who are not counselors and who haven't yeah. learned about play therapy. I think if I didn't sit through a certification class, I'd be thinking the same thing. Why am I going to pay someone to play with my kid? Like, right. I can do that at home for free. <laughs> um, so most parents... Feel that way. Um, I think in our minds, we think therapy and we think about talking. And mm -hmm. so when a therapist um, recommends playing, parents are like, my kid does that at home. I, that's yeah. not something I need to, you know, spend time getting to the appointment, sitting in the waiting right, room. Right. And then, you know, people, parents just sometimes are like, that's going to be a waste. But if you are good at explaining what play therapy is and how it can help children alleviate all kinds of, you know, behavioral symptoms and mental health sy symptoms, then parents usually are like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. That seems like something worth yeah. paying for. Right. Um, so basically, play therapy is a treatment for children that really helps them express their emotions. Um, anything internally that's going on, you know, any kind of internal conflict, whether that is anxiety or depression, um, children usually don't have the words. They don't have the verbal skills to say, you know, I'm sad and this is why. Sometimes even adults, we're sad and sometimes we don't oh, know gosh, why. Yes. Yeah. So a five-year-old, like, they really can't verbalize right. why. Um, but it helps them to kind of develop communication skills and it, it it's their natural way of being 
playing is yeah. just natural for kids. Like talking is natural for adults. Yeah. And so when kids go into the playroom, they are able to work some of those things out through their play. Um, so we've all probably seen kids play and their imagination is, you know, amazing. And so if they're working, if they're playing with two dolls um, and they are trying to work out some internal conflict, they will do that with those two dolls. You know, yeah. they might have a conversation about some issue they're having on the playground or some issue that they're having with their brother and sister. And they're kind of working it out as they play, which yeah. is really, really cool to watch. Um, and kids, they don't know they're working through their inner stuff. Right. They think right. they're just playing. Yeah. Um, and so it really just helps kids to kind of express that stuff that's going on internally that they don't have the words for. And I would imagine kids who experience trauma or loss early on, like that, that's probably a big target population of play therapy, right? Like it's a, an early entry into those conversations. Yeah, yeah. So play therapy is really good to address trauma because, um, again, kids can kind of play out what they've seen, what they've heard, things that might be scary or things they don't have words for. Um, they can play all of that stuff out. Um, it's also really good for um, kids with ADHD, kids with anxiety, um, kids with depression, and kids that are going through a divorce, um, all kinds of, of life um, difficulties that kids might experience are really good for play therapy because kids just get to, you know, work it out through the, the natural way that they just, yeah. that they that they are. So it's really cool to watch and yeah. they're just playing. And so they're having fun. I love that. So let, let's kind of go to the nerd side of things for a second and talk mm -hmm. about um, what is actually happening. Like what are the connections that are happening that allow that to be an effective form of therapy? Like are, are there different things happening in the brain, body, together, all that. Can, can you kind of walk us through that? Yes. So basically we have two different sides of our brain, our, the left side of our brain and then the right side of our brain. And the left side of our brain it, it is that kind of like conscious, rigid, verbal side of our brain. And uh, right, the left side is. And the right side is more of where our, our inner emotions are held. And so play therapy basically helps the youth to kind of integrate both sides um, and kind of make sense of situations because they're using that verbal, that like rigid thinking side of their brain, but also incorporating the emotional side of the brain. And when you kind of put those two things together, um, you, you have a better way of I guess, managing or understanding yeah. um, it, the things that, that you're experiencing. And it's also happening within the safety of a relationship with, your, with the therapist. Um, so I'm not a neuroscientist by any means. I took a <laughs> cognitive neuroscience class in undergrad, and I got a C, and I just squeaked <laughs> by. So I really <laughs> cannot tell you, like, the exact oh, um, sure, neuroanatomy sure. of it all, but I right. know that, you know, it helps kids to kind of integrate both sides of their yeah. brain, which always makes things more easy to understand. Right, right, right. The process. Um, okay, so I'm thinking about, you know, a lot of parents who are, who are you know, going to be listening to this and, uh, you know, as we're recording this, summer is sort of in full swing when this airs. Summer will be winding down. We're thinking about school starting again. Uh, at this particular point in history, we're coming out of this pandemic and uh, either you've had... Uh, a ton of time with your kids at home and they're all ready to, uh, you know, 
explode or get back, have some space, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Or you've got kids who are now starting to, to maybe express a little bit of dread about going back or or nervousness or uneasiness. Um, So let's, let's talk more about the kind of the parenting side of this. So as you're, as, as we're thinking about uh, heading back into school and that sort of season, are there some things that parents can be thinking thinking about, like how to utilize these last couple of weeks of summer from a play perspective? And what are some ways that parents can kind of use thoughtful play at, at home to help their kids? So I have a six-year-old, um, and his favorite thing to do besides eating ice cream is to play. Um, and so because we have spent the last year and a half, I think, right. um, <laughs> together, um, I've had to be creative with you know, ways to have fun um, and ways to kind of change it up. Um, and so I try to incorporate some time like in the morning, sometime in the, in the evening, just for us to kind of play and be together. Um, there's such a like um, special kind of attachment that happens when you play yeah. with your kids yeah. um, that I don't think you can form in other ways. I mean, you can attach with your kids in, in various ways, but play right. is everything to kids. And to have their parents kind of engaging with them yeah. as they do that, just is something special um, for kids. So, you know, maybe just kind of taking out some time. And if you even have to, like, schedule it, which I typically do, um, <laughs> And my kid never forgets to remind me if I'm <laughs> like off the schedule by five minutes when it's time to play. Right. Um, but but you know sometimes we have such chaotic lives that that we do have to kind of take the time to schedule something right. like playing with our kids because it is so important to them. And I I I find that you know when I go into it I'm like this is more for him to have fun and right. you know sometimes I'm kind of dreading it but I know that it's a special time and so I do it. Right. But. I actually enjoy it too. Yeah. Like it's yeah. it's really, um, it, it's just a pleasurable experience to have with him and seeing him have fun. Um, he's seeing me have fun and we're having fun together. And yeah. it just, it it helps the bond, I guess, um, with your kids. And so parents think that play is just for kids, but it's really for us too. Yeah. I don't know when we lose that as adults. Like we lose the ability to play. We yeah. lose the like, um, I don't know. We almost think it's like not for us anymore. Right. But it is, it, it should be for us, whether we have kids or not. Like yeah. play is, is just relaxing and calming. And it's one of those things that feels, you know, great. And so if we can kind of, I don't know, maybe even lessen our expectations about being an adult yeah. and kind of yeah. be more kid-like, you know, I, I think we would all just be less stressed. And you, you find that like one of the things that, uh, that helps when you're trying to engage the kid in play is allowing like child led play. Like, is that, is that as important? Or do you, do you feel like it's important for parents to stay in control of that? Like, how is that? Yeah. So, so that's a great question. Cause in play therapy, there's the non-directive play and then there's the, the directive play. And the directive play is actually giving the kid a prompt and having them, you know, do something um, playful. Yeah. And then the non-directive play is more child-led. So they get to decide what what happens. The benefit of the non-directive play where the child gets to decide is it, it gives them some sense of control. And so 
part of trauma and part of anxiety is feeling out of control. And so as much as we can give choice, um, it brings back that, that feeling of control, which, which in turn brings back the feeling of safety. So when a child goes into the playroom, um, I always start with, this is your room. You get to play with all of these toys. These are your toys. Um, you know, you have this, you have control over this whole entire yeah. room for, you know, the 50, 60 minutes that we're in there. Yeah. And I tell them also, there's really no rules. You don't have to play with anything. You can play. You can play as rough as you want. The only rule is that we just want to keep each other safe. Yeah. Other than that, there's no rules. And where else do kids get to do whatever they want with no, no rules? Never. Right. right. Movies and, only. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that makes them really, really happy that they get to decide what goes on in that room. And it gives them a sense of control as well. So there's pros and cons to, you know, child directed play and then more directive. Um, but that non-directive play just gives kids back that that control and that um, feeling of, of safety. I know what the rules are. I know what to expect. I know all of this stuff is mine until it's time to go. Yeah. And that's just, it's a cool feeling for kids to have because, you know, some kids don't get that control yeah. um, or that feeling of safety um, anywhere else. Well, I would imagine, and this has been somewhat the case in our own our own house. So we've got a toddler and toddlers always want to rule the world. Right. And yes. so, you know, one of the counterintuitive things about, um, our like ETC parenting curriculum does, is talking about being able to give appropriate levels of control, mm-hmm. um, to your kids. And we talked about that a few weeks ago in the podcast. And so, uh, one of the little adventures for us has been like kind of giving, giving the toddler more and more, mm-hmm. uh, options and choices. And what we're finding now is like that leading to a, a healthier decision-making yeah. paradigm for her. And so, um, yeah, so I, I think that is like an incredible, there's all these things that are happening developmentally below the surface that we never mm-hmm. know about. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, it's cool that we were wired in a way that that play can bring that out. It can be yeah. fun and also developmental for us yeah. uh, and for adults too, right? Yeah. Like, um, so I, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, in thinking about some of the more, like it, obviously we can read stories of like, play therapy, like Hallmark cases of like really dramatic change that happened uh-huh. or whatever. But just thinking for, again, mom and dad who are at home and might be noticing their kiddos struggling in a particular way. Um, are there, are there some different like recommendations you might have? So like a kid struggling with anxiety or with like some grief or sadness, and, like here's some, here's some games or some like uh, scenarios that might be great for mom and dad to play, to play along with them. Mm-hmm. So there are a ton of um, books, a ton of um, YouTube videos um, a ton of games that address all kinds of um, mental health symptoms. Um, so I think for anxiety specifically, I use a lot of YouTube videos. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's great um, channels like Spark Kids. Um, I'm blanking on one of them now. Um, but there's a ton of mindfulness videos that are fun for kids to watch and they're really educational in terms of helping them understand how to be grounded and how to be in the moment. Um, And when we're in the moment, it almost um, prevents our mind from doing that spiral thing that anxiety tends to, you know, make us do. Um, So if they can learn how to ground themselves, um, and that just is basically keeping your mind and your body in the room in the moment, um, that is helpful with 
um, decreasing symptoms of anxiety. And if they can do it in the room with you and they practice it, that means that they can eventually start to generalize it to other situations, school, um, you know, family events, parties where they might have anxiety, yeah. all kinds of, um, they can generalize it to all different settings. Um, I think for kids with anger management um, challenges, there's a couple games that I can, off the top of my head, um, that we you can play. One of them is Don't Spill the Beans. And the other one is the Pop the Belly, Pop the Pig's Belly game. I can't remember <laughs> the, the name we'll, of we'll it. We'll figure it out. We'll put it in the show notes there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but those are really good for, you know, helping kids to understand, like, for the Don't Spill the Beans one, for example, it's a game that you each player has the same number of, of beans, and they take turns kind of putting the beans on this little pot. And so what you can do to make it therapeutic or to make it um, educational for, like, learning coping skills is to talk about something that bothers you, something that makes you mad. Um, and then as you pile on the beans, the pot eventually turns over and spills all of them. So you can talk about that in the manner of um, these are the things that make me upset or angry um, or even fearful. And you can help the child understand that the more things you pile on there without some coping skills, the more likely you are to kind of spill over and, you know, explode essentially. Um, And so that's a good one to kind of help illustrate, even with like stress, like the more we put on ourselves, the more beans we pile on top of the pot, the more likely we are that we're going to have some sort of, you know, blow up or or yeah. eruption like a volcano um, is another visual that I like to use with kids. Um, and then that pop the belly <laughs> game, <laughs> you're feeding this little pig these hamburgers and his his stomach gets bigger and bigger and bigger until he eventually like pops the button on his little, <laughs> his little shirt. <laughs> Um, and so you can use that again to kind of illustrate, like, you know, you might have school stress, you might have, um, you know, you might be being bullied in school, and then you have homework stress when you come home, and maybe your, you know, parents are going through a divorce, and there's all these things that kind of pile up, and as you're feeding the pig the hamburger, his stomach gets bigger and bigger until it kind of explodes and pops the button. Um, so those are two really great games that will help you teach kids um, that we need to develop coping skills and that we need to use them. And that can be for anger, that can be for stress, that can even be for anxiety. Um, and it, so those are two really, you know, practical things. And I think they're yeah. relatively inexpensive. Um, you know, you can find them at like Target and Walmart. Um, but those are just good family games to kind of yeah. teach um, some of those reasons for coping skills. Awesome. Oh, that's, that's great. Well, okay. As we start to get kind of toward the end here and, and close out. So, uh, I'm thinking about, uh, all the families who are, um, bigger families and mm-hmm. you've got wide age ranges and, mm-hmm. uh, some, some of our kids love playing these games together. Mm-hmm. Some of them cannot handle certain elements of the different games. So, uh, I am sure 
that there are psychological things happening in that setting that uh, parents and caregivers can kind of uh, watch and kind of manage in a way that can be helpful developmentally for the kids. But I don't have any idea of what those things are. <laughs> so for those of us who have, and you know, never, I would never use a personal example, right? Like my kids play together perfectly all the time. Mm-hmm. But for those people who do have kids that fight when they play games, uh-huh. are there ways that we can be mindful of kind of even using those game experiences in general to help teach, you know, as we're, as we're playing? Yeah, I think everything can be um, used as a teachable moment with kids um, and even with ourselves. Like if I happen to, you know, if my son happens to see me flip my lid for some reason, I don't know, we're in traffic or something. um, I try to use that as a teachable moment and say, you know, I wonder how I could have handled that differently. And he he helps me to kind of brainstorm ideas. Um, Well, maybe you could take some deep breaths because he's heard me tell him that a million times. Um, Or maybe you can ask for a timeout, which when you're driving, obviously, can't do. Um, but just the fact that he's giving me those suggestions um, is great because I've given him those suggestions when he starts to get angry. So yeah. the more that he sees me do it, I think the more he will do it. And he will even catch me when I don't do it and remind me like, mom, you always tell me to do X, <laughs> Y, and Z. Um, but I think parents can watch out for, so you all you know your children best and you kind of know when they might be getting to the point where they're going to explode. If we can catch them before that and kind of help them insert a skill in that moment, and if that prevents them from blowing up, then that's great. Um, But we almost, like, we have to teach the kids the skill in order for them to use it, in order for it to actually um, be reinforced. It's kind of like when kids get suspended over and over, we expect them to be just magically be different when they come back to school. But we haven't taught them the skill that they needed, which got them suspended in the first place. So they come back and they're like, all right, I've been out of school for three days, but I might get into a fight again because I don't have the skill that I need. Um, So parents, if if you just kind of watch out for your, the temperature in, in your child, if you see them getting, you know, taking really short fast breaths or they're getting red or they're, you know, they're making a fist in their hand. Like you kind of know what your children's um, patterns are when they're upset. And if you can catch them in that moment and maybe suggest something, maybe let's go take a five minute walk. Let's go sit in the sun. Let's go swing. Um, Anything that uses the left and right brain back and forth, like walking, um, running, um, anything that's active, climbing a tree, any yeah. of those kinds of things, just get the kid away from the situation, take him outside. Um, that usually helps to calm our our um, limbic system, which is where we hold all of our emotions. Um, so anything you can do to like get them outside, get them active, getting that energy out um, would be really great in the moment. Awesome. Dr. West, Thank you for joining us today. We appreciate it sure. so much. And uh, we'll, we'll have to come back on and talk, you know, uh, juvenile justice system sometime soon. Yes, yes. Thank you for having me. All right.
Well, as we said, just some really practical, helpful stuff from Dr. West and a great look behind the scenes at what's happening in our kids' brain development um, during play. And so thank you to her again so much for joining us today. Uh, last week, we had Dr. Mona De La Hook, and one of the things that we did afterward was issued um, a challenge. And we issued a challenge uh, that if you would repost something you learned from Mona's episode, uh, as well as uh, tagging ETC in the process, that you would be entered for a little giveaway. And so uh, we're going to reveal the winners of those giveaways this week. We're going to uh, pre-order Mona's new book for five of you who did that. And so uh, stay tuned to ETC social media this week for the unveiling of that. Um, We are super excited about that. And uh, stay tuned for uh, an exciting series that we are um, putting together now that's just going to be um, a, a deeper look behind certain behaviors that perplex us as parents. And so all throughout this season, um, interspersed with other professional interviews, um, the ETC team is going to be joining up together to talk about different behaviors that perplex us or that are very um, uh, difficult initially to deal with and just uh, ways for us to approach that, things for us to remember, um, all of that. So it's going to be great. You're not going to want to miss that. Uh, and stay tuned this coming week for um, a deeper look at adult attachment. It's going to be uh, something that is very informative, eye-opening, convicting, all of those things, and we can't wait to bring it to you. And so uh, for Mo Ottinger, for Tana Ottinger, for uh, Kyle Wright, who edits and engineers all of our audio, and Tad Jewett, who created all the music behind the ETC podcast, I'm J.D. Wilson, and we will see you next week on the Empowered to Connect podcast.